Hi, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Wherever you find us, whether it's a video or podcast on your favorite platform, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. You can also find us on major social media platforms. If you go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com, you can find links to the videos or MP3 files, which you can download and enjoy without commercial interruptions. If you're into classic horror, ghost, and adventure stories, I narrate Nightshade Diary, and you can find links at NightshadeDiary.com. If scary stories are your bag, and listening to encounters with cryptids, ghosts, dogmen, and other weird creatures sends a shiver up your spine, then go to SupernaturalStoryTime.com for links to our weekly podcasts. Noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird can be found at eerie.news or visit the Stranger Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Please subscribe to my newsletter on Substack. Just go to mppelliser.com for a link. I want to thank you for being part of my audience, and I think you are all wonderful. So, hi. How's everybody doing? Good? I'm hoping that yes, that's a yes, right? Even though the show's a little bit staggered. I'm recording this the day after Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, also, <clears throat> I know some people are going to say, yes, I did. I did, you know, for the people that that followed me on the hypnosis video that I said my resolution was for one year, no haircut. I did it. So finally I gave in and I cut in a little bit, but I did the one year. That's just, that's just. Uh, and also I want to mention that I am going to do a live stream for New Year's resolutions. And a lot of people had asked me that instead of doing it so close to the New Year's that I should do it earlier for somebody wanting to prepare what they should do for New Year's resolutions so that they don't crash and burn like we talked about in last year's video about things that can happen, how people sometimes set themselves up for failure because, you know, that quote unquote, it's the perfect time of year to do the New Year's resolution. And um, well, we'll get that, that. That's a whole nother show. And again, don't forget to catch me on Substack because again, that's where I send out not only articles, I have links to older shows, five or six years old, that are really great. And um, also, and it's every once in a while, I'll look at them. And it's really funny because some of these videos, I call them BC as in for before COVID. And it's like, you can tell the content and some of the, my comments were totally different, like be, you know before and after. So yeah, it's one of those things. Um, again, go to substack.com and you'll find me there, MP Pelliser. Um, for Like I said, I send out information on giveaways, new books, um, also, you know, links to all the MP3s or older shows. I do all of that through Substack. The newsletter is the best way to be on top of what's going on or not go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Now, let's get on to the good part. And the good part has to do with who the uh guest is today and this is the first time that this gentleman's been here on stories of the supernatural his name is daniel duke and let me tell you a little bit about him he is the great great grandchild of jesse james uh he grew up surrounded by stories of lost outlaw treasures for more than two decades he's been researching the mysteries involving his connection with family freemasonry the knights templar and the secrets of the wild wild west i can't wait to talk to him about this uh, help me welcome him. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Hey, How are you? 
Great, fantastic. Dan, let me ask you, did, obviously this is a family thing. Um, was this something that you knew about early in life as far as what your background and your family was, or did you come into it later on in life? How did you get this information? Yeah, well, my later, uh, Betty Dorsett Duke, she had in 2015, uh, when she grew up, <clears throat> the story went down through the family, uh, oral tradition. Every time we were at a, a, a family get together, holiday, things like that, all the old time we talk about how Jesse uh, didn't die, as history said. They said that, you know, he faked his death, came to Texas and died at the age of 97. 1903. And we didn't, you know, my late mother had no reason to doubt it. None of us doubted it. Uh, but when my sister and I went to college, mom had enough time to, to uh, start researching. So she started doing genealogy and she got okay. all the, all the old family photos. There are things like that. And she took the photos. Like we knew that the photos that we had looked just like Jesse and his family's photos. But Right. That we also knew that people wouldn't accept our word for it. So we went to the experts right. okay. and uh, ended up going to the Texas Department of Public Safety, Austin Police Department, and out of New Jersey called Visionics, who were um, facial recognition. They sold their software to military, airport, stuff like that. And all three groups of our photos matched Jesse and his family. So... It was that oh, wow. started. Yeah, and it, it just went from there. That's incredible. But, but you're right. <clears throat> I understand what you were saying. You guys said, you know, one thing is what's talked about within the family, but we if we go out there, we need to show concrete proof that it's just not stories that you know that families have, yeah. but there's no basis of truth in them. Exactly. Um and along with, you know, like all the we have Jesse's diary, it was down through the family it was just one of them there's a couple more out there but certain family members are holding on to them on anybody for some reason but uh they we've got 1871 to, to 1876 and it lists in his diary uh he, he wrote his signature j j james he also wrote mm -hmm. his initials j j w j and there's okay. a lot of uh no, known gang members that are so let me ask you that story that we everybody hears how Jesse James was assassinated and everything. What do you think that was? Was that done on purpose by him to fake his death or did he survive a shooting? How did that happen? The first, he, uh, <clears throat> he tried to fake it twice. First time in 79 and he okay. got out. They, they all were tired of it. You know, they, it's, you're playing a numbers game running that kind of living that kind of life. Uh, sure. And he knew, you know, it's, it's you're living on borrowed time. So he wanted out. He wanted a piece of life. Uh, he tried to fake his death. One of his gang members, George Shepard, um, helped him, said that he rode into town and claimed he shot Jesse in the back of the head. And nobody would believe it. So the posse went out looking for the body. They couldn't find a body. So that jokes, you know, it just it didn't it didn't work. And a couple of years later, in 1882, Jesse's cousin, Wood Height, who looked a lot like Jesse, it was his first, he was, uh, you know, involved in a weird love triangle with Bob and Charlie Ford's sister, Martha, 
And Martha okay. was sleeping not only with Wood, but he, she was also sleeping with her man, Jim. Well, Wood Height and Jim Gibson showed up at the farmhouse at the same day. They got in a shootout. Wood Height shot Jim Gibson and killed him. And uh, Bob and Charlie, one of the two, Bob or Charlie, uh, one of those two shot Wood Height and it hit him in the back of the head. And they used that body and passed it off as Jesse. And a lot of people, well, these, these days that would be very hard to do. But back then there were no, there were no IDs, no numbers. Um, You know, we didn't have cameras and photographs everywhere. Uh, There were a couple of photographs of him, but his family had that. And the Mm -hmm. Pinkerton detective agency who had been chasing Jesse for over a decade, they, even they didn't know what he was like. Um, so the law, law enforcement and all these other specialists and agents couldn't figure out what Jesse looked like. They didn't know if he was short and overweight or tall and lean or what. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was easy to pass his, you know, to pass Wood Hyde off as Jesse. The only people who could verify what he looked like were his family and gang members, and they all okay. sided with Jesse. Right, because and, and if you look at some of those wanted posters from back then, you look at them and yeah. you know so sometimes they do the sketch artist. It says that could be any. I mean, yeah, it narrows it down, yeah. but that could be a lot of people. Uh, yeah, a lot of people. <laughs> you know, it's like okay, you know, if I came across this person, I really wouldn't be sure it's him. You know, especially back yeah. in those years, sometimes men wore the big mustaches and the beards and stuff like that, or yeah. the mutton chops. All I had to do was either grow it or you know shave it off. And this is a different person altogether. Exactly. And sometimes they would even use mustache wax and comb through their hair to change the color of their hair. Oh, I didn't. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, there was ways, of course, to. And I imagine you're absolutely right. Uh, Do you think that it was just that? What was it? Because at that point, you already had a reward out for him. Is that it? Yeah, there was a large. They they were robbing so many banks and stages and trains Mm -hmm. in Missouri alone. Uh, the railroads were trying to go around Missouri instead of go through it. So it was hurting the state's economy. So, <laughs> Yeah, I know. I bet. Yeah. And he had a big hey. reward. Um, Charlie, Bob and Charlie Ford, I don't know if they thought they were helping. I'd met one of Bob Ford's descendants, and he claimed that their, their family said that Bob had always helped Ch- Jesse. Uh, okay. But Bob Bob ended up getting killed over it years later, and uh, Charlie Ford committed suicide. Interesting. Yep. So, uh, and let me ask you: Was that reward for him dead or alive kind of deal, or was it just if he they brought him in alive? Dead or alive? Ah, yeah, that's the bad part. That's the bad <laughs> yeah. part. And you know, because back then people there was such a thing as bounty hunters, right? Not like the bounty, oh, yeah. not like skip tracers. These were actual people. That's all they did. That's how they made their living. Yeah, it was bounty hunting. Yeah, that's right. And well, and the thing about what made it so hard for a bounty hunter to try to catch anybody involved with Jesse and his gang, they were all kind of like special forces in their day. During uh, mm-hmm. the during the Civil War, they were some of the most feared fighters in the Civil War in that part of the country. Right, and I believe they were, they would go into really inhospitable parts of the country, you know, places. That you know, if yep. you didn't know what you were doing, that's it. You you might you're lucky if you find a place, and chances are, a million things could happen to you if you didn't know what you were doing. That, in other words, that's true. And another thing about the James Gang uh, that I I think helped them go along without ever getting caught is they would go into saloons 
And the only time they entered a town is if they absolutely had to, and they, they would go yeah. in and keep quiet and lay low. So they didn't go to where, you know, they didn't look for, for trouble. They always tried to go in town. So. Right. Because sometimes it's really funny because some of these outlaws, sometimes they met death, not because it, because exactly what you were saying, wrong place, wrong time, had a big mouth, got into a fight with the wrong person. Uh, yeah. You know, there was even such a thing back then as revenge killings back then. That was a yeah. big deal. Yeah. Where years later, families would remember, you know, you killed cousin so-and-so or uncle so-and-so <laughs> yeah. and they gun for you. Kind of like the Hatfield Democrats. Yeah. You know, everybody thinks that the, the bygones be bygones. Nuh-uh. Back then, uh, if somebody knew, hey, you know, so-and-so shot your brother in that bar fight, whatever. That's right. Five years later, that you could end up dead because somebody from that family saw you or found you or whatever. And yeah. uh, even the score. Yeah. People didn't forget or, about and like, like uh, that. I was just talking about that yesterday with somebody, uh, one of my friends, I mentioned it, Wild Bill Hickok. He was, mm -hmm. you know, he was, he was a gunfighter and he killed the man in a fair fight. Years later, that man's son grew up and got a gun and shot Wild Bill Hickok in the back. Just right. because and he was getting revenge. Right. And people don't understand like Wild Bill Hickok. One day you were an outlaw, you shot somebody and then the next day they'd hire you as a sheriff. Because yeah. some of these towns, they were so wild, okay, that they yeah. just couldn't uh, hire an ordinary sheriff. They That's needed right. somebody that knew how to handle all these wild guys, the cowboys. Um, you know, you couldn't be just anybody. It's because some of them, it was really hard work. Because these yeah. guys were like, <laughs> it's like, yeah. and while Bill Hillcock, you know, one day you're out, you're wanted, and the next day the mayor of the little town and the right. K Chamber of Commerce hire you. Because um, the town is growing and they can't have people running around shooting each other or shooting other people. And uh, yeah, the people don't realize how crazy it was back then as far as. That's um, yeah, you even hear it with these stories of Wyatt Earp and things like that, that you go one moment he's he's uh, doing the same thing, law enforcement. And then the, the other side of that, he's wanted for something. Yeah, that was yeah. more common than people think. Yeah, um, a lot of the Texas Rangers were that way too. Uh, yeah. That there's there's a lot of stories of that with Texas Rangers. One day they're rustling cattle, the next day they're catching cattle rustlers. So it was right, just whoever right. paid them the best. So. Right. I think they were disbanded for a few years, like around 1850, if I remember correctly. They were disbanded, and then they brought them together. And yeah, um, yeah. and um, I remember that uh, they would have a lot of problems, you know, with the Chisholm Trail out of Texas. You know, bring bringing that cattle up to those. Uh, stockades with the trains like you were talking about the trains yeah. are coming across the country yeah. and a lot of wild stuff happened on that chisholm trail and that's why they yeah. would have those towns that would spring up yeah all of a sudden because they were on a depot where the you know they would bring in the cattle but it was wild that's times right. back then yes it was very wild very wild and uh let me ask you how did how did jesse get into holding up was it something that happened was it because of the war after the war how did he get involved well, with that when we first came to it you know during the civil war he started when he right. was 14 uh, okay. he, he some so and it was bad uh union union backed gorillas on his farm they strapped him to a plow and beat him and then they strapped his mother to a tree and they hung his stepfather until they didn't kill him but he had brain damage, permanent brain damage from then on. Uh, so he wanted revenge. 
he went and found uh, Quantrill's guerrillas. They let him mm-hmm. fight with them. The regular Confederacy wouldn't let him fight, and he just wanted revenge. He didn't really care about sure. politics. It was just revenge. So uh, exactly. all through the Civil War, he was very good at killing. Like the, the, the men who trained him were very good at killing. Sure. And uh, he, learned, he learned from some of the best. After the Civil War, um, there's a lot involved with that. Like during the Civil War, uh, rem- you know, uh, I'm sure you've heard of Albert Pike, the famous 33rd yes. degree Mason. Absolutely. He yes. was a brigadier. Yeah, he was a brigadier general. And Jesse's group and Albert Pike's group used to have the same. They would camp out in the same spot a few times during the Civil War. And I always wondered if that's where he. I'm not sure. But I often that's where he came into contact with Freemasonry. Uh, but okay. After the Civil War, the normal confederate soldiers were granted amnesty but none of the guerrillas were so jesse and his group if you were a guerrilla you were shot on sight uh he tried to turn himself in at the end of the war and, and they shot him and he got it through his right lung. um and somehow and that was the second time he'd been shot through his lung but he survived um and i guess the best way i can see that there's nothing written down on that but it it appears that ended out he couldn't he couldn't turn himself in so right. may have he had two choices either stay an outlaw or leave the country he chose to stay right yeah also, exactly that you know what a lot of people don't realize what the country was like right after the civil war how crazy it was what you were describing people don't yeah. realize what it was especially when it go out further west you know like when i say west i don't mean far west all you had to do was like you said go further west to ohio missouri you know, where the frontier then was. And uh, yeah. it was like no man's land as far as law and order. Uh, it was right. It, you didn't know who was going to kill you. I mean, you yes. just you could die easily any day at any time. You could meet somebody on the road and they could shoot you. So Right. It's right. You, yeah, you hear crazy. that stuff. Right. It was. Uh, yeah. And like you said, there was no forensics back then. If somebody shot yeah. you out in the middle of nowhere, who was going to say who did it, how they did it? You know, that's it. You'd be gone. And yeah. maybe if you're lucky, they found your body and gave you that's a piece true. of burial. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, we're so... Um, very true. And let me ask you now, you said something about his having contact with Albert Pike. Was mm-hmm. Did he become a Mason or a Freemason or anything afterwards or anything yes. like that? Yeah. Uh, he did. See, I on record he was a mason under his alias james lafayette courtney that was the alias he he took when to text okay uh, in fact his band still keeps the courtney name but uh anyway they every in the lodge and and we were told by a few masons who went to the same lodge he did of course after he died they became but the all those families in that small area where he where he lived in texas um they all know that he was Jesse and all the Masons that, that he was at lodge with knew that he was Jesse. Okay. They knew his real identity. Uh, okay. And it just on after he passed away. people still talk about it around, around that, that town. Um, okay. And I have some elder, elderly Masons who were still, they were kids when Jesse was old, uh, like Jeroming, for example, he was a 32nd degree Scottish, right? And he helped Jesse, when he was 10, 10 to 12 years old, Jesse hired him, swore him to an oath, and, and to help him carry seven bars of gold. 
Um, and okay. that that one treasure catch alone is more than the James Gamer stole in their entire history of rock. So I always wondered, how did he get 700 bars of gold? And that was just one treasure that he buried. So, right. Uh, yeah, because that's what I, that's the yeah. thing about the James gang. They were known that they would stash their proceeds, whatever they were, in different places yeah. because you couldn't go running around the country with money or gold <laughs> or whatever. You couldn't, you just couldn't do it. So basically they were known for stashing their gold or whatever it was. And it, that's that's part of the lore, right? That they say a lot of it hasn't been ever been recovered. Yeah. Um, well, some have recovered. Some has still. Some has been re recently. Um, former, like uh, former Attorney General of the state of Texas, Wagner Carr, for example. He okay. he used to call my mother. He would call my mother, and he he was interested in Jesse and the gold. But he was later. I found out. Wagner Carr was also a Freemason, uh, and I don't know if that's why he was contacting my mom or maybe all three, uh, but he, he driver picked my mother and I up, and he showed me three areas where large catches of gold were recovered. Uh, his driver had personally been to two of those sites, and she saw him recover. The Texas ranks oversaw their recovery, and I asked where what they did with it. And I never got an answer, but, uh, I, it was interesting. She had one of the sites, for example, was so large. It took several 18 wheelers, several trips to unload all the gold. It had gold dating back to like a Spanish gold and a lot of other gold ingots and bars. Right. Okay. You know, you always hear about sometimes during the civil war that certain money shipments, would go astray. Uh, yeah. And, you know, you always wonder, like, where, you know, <laughs> some of those things. Because there was a lot of money yeah. you needed. You know, people don't realize back then, it's not like now that you do a wire transfer for thousands or millions of dollars yeah. back then to pay for soldiers and supplies and things like that. You had to actually transport the money from point Yeah, to point they needed B. gold and silver. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and every everybody, you know, yeah, and you're right. That's one up until, I guess, about about a century ago. It was gold right. and, and silver, a little more than centuries. And I, and I don't know. And I'm gonna I'm gonna segue real quick into this. Uh, you know, I don't know if you're f familiar with uh, this. Is a very recent thing called Fence Treasure about the that gentleman that was a. He basically, he was like an, not like a collector. He lived out in Arizona uh -huh. and, he, and he put together like a, all these pieces of, of basically collectibles and golds. He said estimated to be at $2 million and he hit him. Wow. And yeah. it was, people were going crazy. And I believe that it was discovered in 2020, but mm -hmm. in the interim, I think like five people ended up dead because they were going to places, yeah. you know, trying to find this treasure. <laughs> You know how crazy people go crazy because he would have these quotes yeah. that they would cut out and they even had forums and, you know, chat rooms, people trying to figure out, you know, yep. all these clues trying to figure out if that's what they meant, you know, and um, yeah, that's incredible. And I think as a matter of fact, it's going up for auction now, the guy that found it oh, two years cool. ago, he's putting it up for auction. But my point being that that in comparison, people are going crazy and, you know, yeah. Just, 
So I can imagine. And as a matter of fact, God, what was, was it in Missouri? I'm, I'm trying to remember the story about there was um, basically some uh, uh, where, where supposedly part of the Jesse James gang had, I want to say, buried, and it was coins. If I remember correctly, it was coins. And somebody yeah. had bought up had bought up the land or something. And it was supposed to be hidden in there. And um, he, the gentleman that was there, he, I believe the one that he met was Jesse James' brother. God, Marlene, I can't remember that story now. But basically, even then, even years afterwards, this we're talking over the, like, 1905, people were still going out there trying to locate where this money was at or where the stash was at, whatever it was. That's true. So what did he do? Did he, after this thing where he, they thought, everybody thought, okay, he's dead. What, what did he do? Where did he go? He went to Texas. Um, he was in Texas when, when Wood Height was shot. And okay. he went up to the, he, he traveled up, he traveled north, he went to his parents because, well, his mom already knew it wasn't him. But he, okay. he went to, and he even, he even attended the funeral. And we have a photo showing him at his own funeral, standing next to his mother, and nobody oh, knew boy. who it was. It's really, oh. it's it's wild. <laughs> but you nobody knew who people, he was. So, yeah. People see what they uh, expect to see, you know, exactly, that kind of deal. Exactly. And it was his first cousin. They used they fought together in the war, and they were close. So I'm sure that's that's probably another reason why that way to travel. And I thought. That almost seems crazy of him to do that, but nobody right. knew what he looked like other than his family and gang members, so he was pretty safe. Right, but I imagine what, what happened after that. Did he kind of have to separate himself from his family so nobody would start thinking, who is this guy that's always hanging out with a, you know, with a family now? Did he, like, he, go away? He did at times, but, like, when Frank James got married, um, they, they he got married at Jesse's house in Blevins, Texas. Uh, okay. And that was before that was before the faked death. But uh, even his mom, his late mother, when she died, she was on her on a train heading back to Missouri from Texas. And that's, she died of old age on on the way back. It was somewhere in Oklahoma where she passed away. But uh, okay. they, they would come and visit. But it, they it, she it was safer for her to visit him in Texas than it was for him to visit her in Missouri. Sure. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. Right, because if you have a house out in the middle, what did he have, like a ranch or something out there where he lived? Yeah, and he was surrounded by former Quantrell's guerrillas. They they all had oh. farms in that area. So it was a nice little, they were safe. Right, that's, that's <laughs> where I was going with this. It's not like, you know, it's not like somebody's going to see you with like, you know, you have to go out there and you're going to have to go on the land. And like, if he's already has his neighborhood set up, even if they were yeah. ranches miles apart, that's it. Yep. Nobody's going to bother you. That's because right. People, it was almost, in, in a way, it reminds me of some of the mafia movies where you'd have a watcher. Yeah. You know, when somebody entered the neighborhood, they already knew. So sure, uh, of course. It's. I think it's a good. Yeah. It seems like a good way to do it. So just make sure they're protected. And you know what? In a way, it's really funny because you know you see a lot of the westerns, and they kind of romanticize up to a certain point that lifestyle. But they don't. The yeah. part that they leave out is that after a while, it's like, okay, if you got all this money and all this and all that, there comes a point that, what, if you don't live to enjoy it, then what happens? Yeah. <laughs> so. And see, that's where I wondered. I used to wonder, okay, they had 
they buried a lot more than they'd ever stolen. And it, and that was just a small part of it. Uh, right, the other right. outlaws, like uh, Billy the Kid and uh, Jesse had met in 1879. And I thought it was odd that just a few years later, both of them were allegedly killed in the same fashion by a former, right. you know, a fellow gang member shot in the back kind of thing. Um, right. And their story, their stories about Billy faking his death. I haven't gone down right. that trail too much. I've had my hands full with Jesse, but like in his diary, for example, he, he detailed a, a, a robbery trip they went on into Louisiana and how the they hit multiple targets in different areas because the gang would split up just like guerrilla tactics back in the war. Uh, mm-hmm. But he stayed he stayed at a man's house by the name of Gervais Fontenot. And I thought, OK, any name I saw, I would always you know research them as much as I could. So I, right. I researched Gervais Fontenot and found out he was a retired U.S. Marshal. And I thought, why would Jesse and his gang rob a stagecoach wow. and then go stay the night with U.S. Marshal? And that goes back in line, in my opinion, kind of like uh, what we'd mentioned earlier with Texas Rangers and other lawmen. One day they're an outlaw, next day they're a lawman. Uh, but I, I researched Gervais Fontenot, and I found out that he was the nephew. His his uncle was Jean Lafitte, the famous pirate. Okay. Uh, and that's that's just it's a fact. His uncle he was the nephew of Jean Lafitte. And then I, I got to reading more about Jean Lafitte and I found out, and this is a, on a, oh, it's the, the lot. There's a lodge in uh, Masonic lodge in new Orleans and they've got their history written out and they had a, they t- they transcribed a letter from Jean Lafitte or about Jean Lafitte during the war of 1812. And it okay. said that Jean Lafitte had had Masonic communications with Andrew Jackson. And that okay. told me, you can't have Masonic communication unless both parties are Masons. Are Masons, so exactly. It, I thought it was interesting. There's a tie between, you know, Jean's nephew and Jesse. And it, it's, it's a, it helped show a pattern. That was one of many examples. Right. But it helped show a pattern of Freemasonry and pirates and outlaws throughout history. Um, I've had, and I became a Mason. I'm a 32nd degree Scottish Rite myself. Okay. But uh, I found out. Well, I've had some people say, you know, I, some some get offended. There's, you know, they can't believe that an outlaw would have been allowed to be a Mason. And I, right. Masons type, you know, Masons um, connect back to the Templar and the Templar okay. themselves were outlaws at one time. So, you know, it's sure. not hard to believe in my opinion. I mean, and the war between the, the Vatican and and the Templar is well known. Uh, yes. You know, they, they raided their their coffers they tried to get their money they didn't get the money all the gold disappeared over and and this you know then you've got uh, legends like oak island and a lot of other stuff and i think the gold that the templar took ended up here in the americas and i believe that jean lafitte and jesse and a lot of other people were tied in with that that they knew something about that unless you were in that in that how can i say that world for lack of a better word and of course let's face it if you're talking treasure or gold, everybody's like, shut up, you know, the less you say about it, because if not, forget yeah. it, you know, uh, and, That's that, right. and you know, one of the things that, I've, and I'm going to ask you your opinion on this, you know, I, you know, as you know, the Templars were supposedly, they were captured and they were, you know, they were, like you said, they were outlaws as far as the Pope was concerned and they were all, but then you think they're so powerful. They basically, they were bankers. If you look at what they were doing yeah. and that was part of the problem along, among with other things. And I was thinking, I always thought, okay, if these people were so wired in, 
didn't somebody, a little bird, come and whisper in their ear and say, you guys need to get out of Dodge because they're coming for you, especially La Mole. Yeah, all these head people that ended up being, yeah. um, you know, uh, executed. I'm thinking, okay, uh -huh. how powerful, because back then, like in all things, espionage information was vital. So yeah. they would have their own people inserted you know, and all these, whether it was the Vatican. And I've always wondered yeah. how could they have been so powerful and nobody come to them and tell them, you know I what, think, we're hearing rumors about this. Yeah, I think it was, I think they knew. Um, talked to a couple other men about that uh -huh. um, and historians and other 33rd degree right. Masons and, and historians and others. But uh, most people I've talked to, and I agree too, I think they knew ahead of time and I think like okay. Jacques Demolay, who was their grandmaster, Jacques Demolay, I believe he sacrificed himself. I mean, they were okay. monks anyway. Um, they they kind of had that attitude. They all thought they would die in battle or for the cause. So mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of them sacrificed themselves. But most of them, most of the, the Templar disappeared. Like the, they had 13 ships in a port the, the night before the raid and by the next morning at dawn, when the raid was started, all the ships had disappeared. And nobody knew where okay, they went. See, I have never heard of that. And that's that's the part I'm yeah. thinking, you know what? It, you know, I cannot believe their 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 information network would fail them that badly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, I think it was made to look that way. They didn't want anybody okay. knowing that they took off and they got all the gold. But I know the Vatican, the Pope at the time and the King of France, uh, King Philip the Fair is what he that was mm -hmm. his name. Uh, he, they, they wanted the gold, and that that was the main one of the main objectives was getting sure. all their gold, and there was none to be found. All the coffers were right. empty, so yes. I, right. I believe a lot of it left on the ships. I also, I think there's a lot of treasures that were buried in Europe, but I think a large portion of it came to the Americas. And it makes sense because yep. it was, um, I, how can I say it? It was like out of reach. Uh, yeah practically for all intents well, and purposes and back in those days there was they had a lot of allies after they became outlawed they were excommunicated um right they you know and they scotland all of scotland at the time was excommunicated so that was a logical place for them to flee to why which i didn't know that why was uh, scotland excommunicated at that time it had to do with tensions with the church and with england and they, okay. they wouldn't fall in line and the pope excommunicated the entire country uh, there's a lot more to it. That, I know. I did not know of, that. Yeah. So you know why? So the reason why. I, <laughs> wow. Yeah. All of you guys. <laughs> if you're, yeah. If you're Scottish, you're, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you something. About, you know, we can laugh, but back then that was a big deal. Basically, yeah, you were damning these people's souls by excommunicating them. Yeah. This is what you were yeah. doing in essence. Yeah. yeah it's not they, like. And, yeah. People wouldn't do business with them. Uh, mm -hmm. It was like you were an outcast by the, the entire church and all of Europe was at the yes. time controlled by the Catholic Church. So yes. if you were if you were excommunicated, that pretty much destroyed your life and your soul on top of it. So, yeah, because, so. you know, I always think of, you know, when Henry VIII that, you know, that he broke away and he started the uh -huh. Church of England because, of course, he wanted to remarry and get a, an, an heir. I always thought yeah. that that was a big break with the Vatican, with Rome. I didn't know that the Pope had so done too. that. Yeah. So, um, and let me ask you something: Is that when, um, is that when the the Templars that they say that they came to Scotland then, as far as 
Yeah. Yep. And specifically an area around Roslyn Chapel near Edinburgh, right. uh, Scotland. So I tend to call it Edinburgh, but I've got a, my agent, my literary agent is, uh, she lives in London. She's from the UK. She, she always corrects me and says it's Edinburgh, not Edinburgh. So I'm like, okay, it doesn't look like it's spelled that way, but. <laughs> I know. It's but, like, uh, yeah. Like it's like the Thames river, not that, you know, you know, you know, you want to say it phonetically. Yeah. I, is yeah, this what right. Scottish right of Freemasonry is birthed out of this this time period? No, uh, that was later. Albert Pike uh, formed the Scottish right. Uh, he okay. he had he had re he had written all the and actually morals and dogma and a couple of other books, but he he had reformed that whole that whole part of it. They had they had a lot of the Scots Masons had a lot of their own. Um, oaths and rituals and stuff, but mm -hmm. uh, Albert Pike was credited for reforming a lot of that and organizing it. Okay, and you know what? And the reason why I asked that is that I thought that the 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 Freemasons, you know, when uh, during the you know revolutionary colonial period into the United States, that you know a lot of the immigrants from Scotland and Air that came, they were Freemasons, and I thought that that's where that Scottish right of Freemasonry had come into the to United States. I used, um, I used to think the same thing, uh, but okay. uh, it shocked me when I found out they, that's right. What, like, um, I always thought that for some reason, before I joined the Masons, I thought George Washington was probably a 33rd degree, but there, there was right. no such degree at the time. So, <laughs> so what I was it? it? Either was you were a Mason or you weren't? Is that it? Yeah, either. Well, and they had degrees, but they didn't go up to the 33rd at the time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's very so, interesting because, you know, there's always, you know, there, you know, I'm sure you've heard of all the, you know, as far as uh, the founding of the country and, you know, the impact of the Freemasons, as far as that the, all the founding fathers were Freemasons and things of that nature, you know, mm -hmm. so it, because a lot, I think a lot of times people um, fail to realize that also the Freemasons, it's not only because of the belief in Freemasonry, but even to conduct business and everything. It's almost like you trust another Freemason yeah. more than you would do somebody who's not a Freemason. Yeah. And back then, um, well, they seemed a lot more, I guess, strict on their oaths and their rules. Um, sure. As opposed to today. I mean, you know, somebody can, I guess, cheat someone or whatever. And, they, you know, it's a slap on the hand or they may get kicked out of Freemasonry. But it's not as uh, it's not as right. I guess the consequences aren't as bad today as they used to be. Right, right. Well, back then it, it got around that, you know, you had broken a, 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 you know, like an oath or a promise or like a handshake, you know, you know how they say those yeah. deals with a handshake and it got That's around true. after a while, you know, especially among people that were movers and shakers, it was you're, you're done, you know, it's gotten around that yeah. you're not a, you don't keep your word. So That's right. You're not. And I think, I think that's also why it led to duels and things like that back then. Um, if someone insulted someone, they had to protect their honor because it, if they got, if they were viewed to be a coward or an un, un yes. I guess a dishonest person, that could ruin everything. Right, right. It was, I know that they could go out and duel and like shoot in the air or shoot in the ground. And basically yeah. your honor, it was, and they would agree to say, are, are we settled? You know, is, is this okay? Yep. And you're okay. But you had to yeah. show up. You had to be yeah. willing to go out there. 
Yep. If and, he didn't show uh, up, that was bad. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know they outlawed dueling, but supposedly this, like you said, it was all your honor or your family honor meant a lot. Yeah. So you better show up and figure something out. Yep. Um, That's right. Because if not, that, that, that taint by 40 years later, you'd still be known as that guy. That's true. That's true. It could ruin your fight. It could ruin your yes. career. Yes, it could. It could. And that's why, you know, we have, uh, what was it, uh, Hamil uh, uh, the, the, the Aaron Burr and everything that they basically, they go out there. And you're thinking, these guys are supposed to be above this. No, back then it was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, as far as even if the, they're high up in the government. Yeah. And what's really funny is that one of them lost his son like three years previously, he was 17 years old. Wow. Hamilton to uh, the same thing, to a duel. Wow. And, I didn't know yeah. that. Yes. Yes. Three years before, had a 17-year-old son, his oldest son, which was his favorite. Same thing, young, idiotic. And they thought that yeah. they were going to go out there and he ended up getting shot. And he ended, you know, they took him to his parents' house and and he died. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. And three years later, his father gets killed the same way. But yeah. um, a lot of these things, um, people don't realize back then. And people didn't forget. People had long memories back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. So, so let me ask you, do you think that Jesse was involved, if not in keeping the gold, or what was it, transporting it? or I think he was, he it kept, he, he was kind of like a treasurer in, in some right. cases, or at least for his area. Um, mm -hmm. he, he had a lot of gold. Everybody around him who he kept in his circle had a lot of wealth. Uh, in okay. fact, um, well, they buried a lot, a lot more than they'd ever sold. But I think on the scheme of everything, they were an important part in their day, but they were just one small part in, in the whole picture. I mean, it, it involved people like, uh, well, uh, Jean Lafitte, for example, and, and others who, who weren't infamous, um, like Sir Francis Bacon, his mentor, yes. John D. And when I traced, when I traced it back, because, you know, I found... I found, I figured out the template. They used a template for the treasures and it was in the form of okay. a grid pattern. And that right. was the first one I figured out. And it's a, uh, there, the grid pattern is kind of like a, there it's three templates. There's a large, medium and small. They all overlay okay. and connect to each other. And when it, it went beyond that, I found that uh, there's part of the template. It also includes another, a second template that's in the shape of the Kabbalistic tree of life. And that stretches okay. from Williamsburg, Virginia, all the way to uh, Victoria Peak, New Mexico. And okay. like the, the treasure in New Mexico, at Victoria Peak, New Mexico, was mentioned in the Watergate hearings. That's how big okay. that treasure was. Uh, all right. Uh, LBJ, Nixon knew about it. LBJ was said to have got his hands on some of it and used some of it to pay off third world countries purchasing elections. I don't know how true that is. That's I just wouldn't a rumor. be surprised. A rumor. Nowadays, yeah. it's like, I wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me. Um, but that that treasure, uh, the, the, the grid pattern with the three different grid systems that all tie together, it all represents, it's, it ties back into Kabbalah. It was a, the, the okay. Jewish, the, the capitalistic tree of life with the three veils of negative existence that come that uh, coincide with the tree of life. And I okay. thought, okay, this, is, and I knew nothing about Kabbalah when I started this. Um, 
it was before I joined it. There was, there was, it was a lot of learning over the years and it didn't happen overnight. It was over 25 years of research, but uh, it tied. So I wanted to know why they did it in that shape and then why the certain dimensions, like the, the middle pillar on the tree of life that goes from Williamsburg, Virginia to Victoria Peak is 1,715 miles apart. And then, okay. I, and that's a long, that's a long distance, yeah. uh, especially back in those days. And then there's a, there's a, a lot that, that number 1715 ties in in different ways in that. But uh, I wanted to know why they used the dimensions they did, the shapes and everything. So it was okay. like doing a family tree only for an organization. And I already knew the okay. involvement of the Masons. So right. I traced that back. It went back to some of the founding fathers. Uh, people like Benjamin Franklin and, and John Locke, uh, okay. well, beyond that, and went to John Locke, uh, Sir Francis Bacon. When I got to him, I thought, okay, this is a guy who did it all. He's credited with forming modern-day Freemasonry. He's got to be the guy who came up with it all. And uh, he wrote a book called The Newness, which is basically like a template for what America okay. was supposed to be. But okay. I was satisfied for about three days and that nagging question kept bothering me. So I kept digging and I found out his mentor was John D and John D was okay. like an occultist and uh, he was right. an alchemist. Exactly. An occultist. He was a spy, a uh, very skilled yeah. spy. He was the advisor to the queen. He was yeah. Sir Francis Bacon's mentor and it kept going back through people, uh, even Da Vinci. I mean, everybody knows that name, but I was looking, I was just trying to tie it in and see if it fit and just connecting friends and mentors who had this, had uh, ties with Freemasonry, Rosicrucianism, alchemy, and it led back to Jewish vice. And that shocked me. Um, at first it shocked me. And then I started noticing, you know, the, the, the Kabbalistic tree of life, the, that, okay. that helped explain where Kabbalah entered the picture. But it was okay. not just Jewish Kabbalah. It was also occult Christian and Jewish Kabbalah in a mix of those. Right. But it okay. went through these rabbi, a long list of rabbis back to a rabbi named Rashi. And okay. Rashi was the favored court guest of Hugh, the Count of Champagne, who was one of okay. the founders of the Templar. So I wrote okay. my first book about the treasures. And I thought people are okay. going to think I'm crazy when this comes out. But um I, the thing that the thing that blew my mind, it was the biggest honor I could have had, was the current uh, Grandmaster of the Knights Templar, Timothy Hogan, wrote okay. a glowing endorsement for my book and told, and part of his endorsement, he said I, that I have cracked part of the code, a part of the code that deals with the treasures in from Jerusalem, from the temple in Jerusalem. And I thought, oh my God, this is awesome. But uh, okay. it, in to wrap it up in a like make a long story short on that part um it's kind of it, it, you've all heard like holy blood holy grail and the da vinci yes, code of course. That came from that. yes i believe the treasure a lot of treasures are still still in europe but i think what i discovered on the treasures here in america and the people connected with it is the continuation of that story let me ask you, do you think that originally the Templars were organized, as they say, because of the pilgrims and the crusades, and then they became something else? Or were they put together I, always I, with that purpose? Of I believe um, Timothy Hogan, actually, he's an author and a lecturer, grandmaster for the Templar, it stated mm -hmm. that he believed that the Templar... Uh, were formed. It was just a group of nine men, and, and you know when you when you hear that, think of nine men protecting all those pilgrims. That seems almost right. impossible. 
so mm-hmm. and I what his excuse his what he stated said made a lot more sense to me. He said they knew that was coming. You know, long before the war happened, people knew it was coming. So they were right. like uh, emissaries in in a sense. They went people uh, oh d- d- different Islamic faith people of Jewish faith. War was coming. They knew what happened during war, and they wanted, right. according, part of their goal was to was to keep and protect items and information of sacred and historical value. Right, right, like exactly. Some of the uh, Jewish writings, uh, Kabbalistic writings, uh, treasures that they had that that were more than just treasure. It was more of religious. Uh, yeah, and then there's a lot of things. I mean. Items from the temple could that include things like that. I don't know, but that sounds kind of interesting. It piques my interest. Right. That keeps me right. That's what keeps me up at night. So, <laughs> well, you know what? And the reason why I asked that is you, you know, you hear about the Templars that they were basically the pilgrim because people didn't realize back then, people when they went as a pilgrimage, it would take years to go and come back. Uh, yeah. And of course, the Holy Land was the ultimate place to go to for pilgrimage etc and i'm thinking how did these knights that were supposedly guarding you know along the pilgrims route how did they end up become bankers or money lenders because people don't realize back then money lending or having to do with money this was not really well thought of it was like that was like for lack of a better word like if you were up in the you know even the king or courtiers you didn't do that you borrowed you know or whatever yeah but money lending and stuff like that or banking was not really a good occupation if you were no. well born, how's that? That's right. That was very, that's exactly right. Yeah. And, and that's and, why they, you know, on p- making the pilgrimage, like you said, that took years. Uh, when people wanted to do that, if, if they had been robbed on the way, they'd lose not only well, basically everything that they had and their family had sure. destroy even their, their children wouldn't have their, you know, anything money that broke. So the, the Templar turned into bankers over the years. And that's, you know, they would, when somebody was going to go on a pilgrimage, they would deposit their money. The Templar got the of it and they gave right. them a note that was, you know, it was worth its weight in gold. Right. Let me ask you, do you, how do, do you have any information? Do you see any time with the Cathars, which, you know, of course, were first was persecuted as well by the Vatican. Um, I, I've touched on that a little yeah. yeah, the Cathars, there's also an interesting story on that involving some of their treasure. There was a, a Nazi mm-hmm. by the name of, I think they called him Scar. Um, and he was, from what I've read, he was one of, part of the inspiration for Indiana Jones, only uh, Spielberg okay. you know, rewrote it so that Indiana Jones was an American and he wasn't the Nazi. <laughs> but, it but, happens, uh, yeah. <laughs> but they said that this guy named Scar... Uh, him, Himmler sent Scar in, uh, gave him, they sent him in and a group of his own the men that he picked who he knew could do the job. And they found where the Cathar, they, they started w- where the Cathars were. And with a military mindset, instead of all the archaeologists who had tried to look at it, look for it, but failed, uh, he, right. he looked at it from a different outlook or different perspective. And they claim that he found some of the a, a large part of the Cathar treasures, like the em, uh, the emerald goblet and stuff like that. Um, I right. can't remember all the details on the treasures, but the Cathar involvement, I think, 
some of their, I guess, some of their spiritually minded, are their priests? I'm not sure what the term for their leaders were, but I think a lot of that melted into um, like Rosicrucianism, or at least lended lended some of their beliefs to that. Right, because they believed in reincarnation. A lot of it was really funny because for most parts they were Christianized, but when they split off and they started believing in reincarnation, things like that, that's when the Vatican's like, what? And of course, yeah. you know, if you become powerful enough as far as you're following, the, the, the Vatican always saw it as a threat to their power. You know, yeah. you're pulling away our potential followers because that's basically sometimes what it boils down to. Yeah, that's uh, why a lot of churches, I, I know just normal churches growing up, you'd hear of a you know, half the congregation leaves and starts their own church. It's usually because of power or money or some kind of mm-hmm. that started from power. <laughs> so yeah, it's and you know what? If it was just if it was just a couple of kooks running around in the mountains, the Vatican wouldn't have bothered. It's like, all right, whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> once they gain in popularity, uh, and you know what? The, but people don't realize, and you're absolutely right. A lot of these people, the way they they lived. They were able to put away in like everything. Um, you know, if you have personal property or riches, you, when you became a Catholic, you you know, all these things came with you. Yeah. You know, if, if you were part of that belief system. So, so yeah. Well, I would imagine there was a lot of wealth tied up with that. Right. You think that could have, maybe that was another reason the Catholic Church, uh, maybe that's part of the reason why the Vatican attacked them. I believe so. It's like everything. It, it comes down to, I mean, uh, you know, you could say, well, you know, the ideology, it's, uh, it's you know, like like when he's excommunicated to Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, that you could say, well, it's it's like you're a heretic. But I think deep down inside, for practical reasons, it usually boils down to money and or power. Kind That's of true. Deal. Yeah. Um, you know, well, you know, for, for, you know, like what happened with Martin Luther with Protestantism and, you know, what they call the schism. Look what happened with that. So, yeah, they 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 had um, if anything, for all intents and purposes, the Vatican, even though it was religious, they they knew human psychology pretty well as yeah. far as, um, you know, when they saw any movement that was going away from the teachings of the Vatican. Because back then, and even then, when you were talking about going to the Crusades, you know, you could buy indulgences, and you know, yeah. if, you were, if you had led like a really kind of like uh, bad, uh, uh, how can I say, or immoral life, but you were coming close to your time, yep. you could basically buy prayers and indulgences to make sure that the gates, the pearly gates, open for you. <laughs> buy a ticket. Yeah. Buy a ticket, yeah, yeah. People yeah. would they, they, they if you had wealth, you could have you could pay people to pray for you, yeah, uh, yeah. And that's why you even had some of the nobility that they would say, you know, I will uh, give the money or I will build this church or I will build this or I will do whatever, but in exchange, you must have X amount of uh, either priests or nuns or be praying yeah. for my soul before, during, and after because that's the yep. thing, people don't realize that people did believe in that. Um, when I said that thing about the Scotland being communicated, this was a big deal. People really it's thought huge. that yeah. you were going to go to hell um, because all of a sudden, of course, you, your past caught up with you. You know, you remember all the horrible things you did like, oh, boy, you know, so that that kind of that people think that that's like uh, and that was that's uh, and I even tell you back then, I'm sure you've heard of it. 
you know, that's why you wouldn't have that. They wouldn't allow suicides to be buried in a consecrated churchyard. Same thing with murderers. You know, they would yeah. uh, bury them at the crossroads because it was like you were contaminating the cemetery or the consecrated ground if you allowed people like yeah. that to be buried. And that's how seriously yeah. people took their their, their, their dogma, mm -hmm. how the religious dogma. Yeah, it was very serious yeah, well, for them. Uh, famous violinist, uh, Paganini, he, he, he was able to, to hit notes on the violin nobody else could. And it, it, it ended up, people found out later and more recently, he had some kind of disease that would, it, uh, his fingers could reach, reach around and curl around. It was some kind of ligament disease. Um, I can't really? remember the name of it, but he had a disease that allowed him to do that. He was real long and his fingers reach strings that you, a normal person couldn't. And uh, because of that, people claimed that he sold his soul to the devil so that he could have those abilities. And they didn't let him, they, they uh, denied his body to a Christian burial after he died. I did and, not and he was know that. Yeah, I, I thought did that's not why. know that. <laughs> right, that you're that's too good. Yeah, he played too good, so it must have been of the devil. So. Right, it could have been a bit of God, you know, because like, no, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. It's, yeah, and I'm sure you've heard of all those. Um, yeah, the, the, what was it? There was, yeah, everybody that's always like, a, you know, you, you go to the crossroads and you make a deal with the devil for whatever, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, whether it's the talent or something, yep. you know, but they, they, when they come, you know, eventually, or, you know, uh, fame, but a short life kind of deal, that, that kind of, uh, you know, it, it always catches oh, up yeah. with you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I've heard a lot of stories like that. Like, uh, well, in some of the old blues legends, they would claim, yes. they would sing songs about the crossroads. Yes. Get popularity. Yes. People were like, oh. It must be really good. So, <laughs> right, because people don't realize the idea when why why they would erect gallows or even sometimes bury suicides at crossroads is because supposedly so that the the spirit or the ghost of this person could not follow you home. That was the idea behind yeah. it, that it would have all these roads. And that's how also people really believe that. Of course, if you died in sin, you were gonna what you had to be a restless spirit after death. So, yeah, yeah. Plus, the, also sometimes when they would leave people on the gallows, it was like, "Hey, it's like a psyop. We're gonna wig you out because oh, yeah. you're gonna go into the town and you see this guy hanging. Is look, look what we do to, uh, you know, if you break the law here, <laughs> that's what ends up happening yeah, exactly. to you." <laughs> yeah, 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 it's like that's always a. Uh, let me ask you. So, how long did Jesse James live? How how old was he when he died? Ninety-seven. Oh, he died in 1940. So, and I take it that's 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 old age. That's death by old age. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he, I can't. They, and there was a weird. I don't know what happened to him. It was when his early 80s. Um, mm -hmm. They thought he died. They thought he died. Um, he wasn't moving. Okay. He was laying. Uh, the doctor. Mirror his nose, and there was no vapor on, you know, no mist on the mirror. Uh -huh. And they were having uh -huh. a wet, so they they were going to bury him the next day, and they even had the grave already dug. Um, they had a wake for him, and his little finger moving. And she, oh my god, she, that's the only that's the only reason he wasn't buried alive. Uh, uh, three days later, he came out of what it was, and he was fine okay. for 
a little more than a decade. So. <laughs> oh, he lived another ten years. Oh my God. Yeah, well, yeah he lived. He lived. Oh, yeah. It was about. I think it was probably. He died at ninety-seven. Probably about thirteen or fourteen more years. It was kind of cool. And weird. That's and I thought that's that's why. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's why I used to put a bail on in in like a, when they would bury people. I've heard stories like they would put a string through a basket and, uh, and tie it to a little bail outside so that if somebody woke up, they could ring the bell. Yes, <laughs> right. And, and you know what? I, I, and I hate to say it, and you want to clear a wake really fast, do one of those things of, you know, the corpse starts moving. It's like, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah it's like, you want to clear the room, you know, yeah, like, yeah. and then you'll, you'll have some brave soul that's going to come back and look to see. <laughs> but that, you know, God, what, that and I, and no, and sometimes you, and um, also the problem back then was that they also had, besides the, the fear with, with good, good reason of being buried alive was also around that. Time also depends. I think this happened in uh, other areas where they um, basically what they call, well, in England, they call them resurrection men, but grave robbers, where there was a demand yeah. for bodies, fresh bodies for anatomy classes in the universities. And they would be um, they would be taking yeah. out fresh cadavers and put them on a train and ship them out. And can you imagine you're alive yeah. and all of a sudden what ends up killing you is that because sometimes what they would do is they would... Um, even use a hook and put like a hook to pull the person out, like under the chin. Oh, yeah. To pull them out. And because uh, they had to get in and out of there quick. Um, yeah. But that was that was quite common. And back then also, you know how people were buried also with um, jewelry and, you know, keepsakes and things like that. This yeah. was another inducement for the grave robbers. It was like, you know, we're going to get money for the body. <laughs> Plus, we're gonna if we find anything in the grave, we're that's you know if there's a ring or and, and chains and jewelry, people were buried with that yeah. stuff. Gold so, teeth, gold teeth, yes, gold yeah. teeth. Once upon a time, that was um. Uh, recently, I was um, I was reading this story. This happened uh like right before the turn of the century, and this was uh, in New York, you know, where Sing Sing Prison is at. Yeah. And there's this lady who she arrives on the train, okay, she's very well dressed, and it describes her, but all her teeth are gold. This oh. is, and this is one of the one of the signs that you were that if you had money that you could put, put yeah. your, you know, gold gold teeth, you were bottom line. They found her body a couple of days like afterwards by the railroad tracks, and to make a long story short, they never were able to identify her. Nobody could understand wow. how obviously this lady who was, uh, she was well-dressed, expensive dressing, had gold teeth. Uh, they could tell by the way her, your, you know, her hands were kept and everything. Yeah. And how nobody could know, they they sketched her since they had found her. And there was, uh, was she hit by a train? Like it didn't make, uh, what was it? One of her, one of her arms was ripped off and her head had come off. Okay, so th there was controversy. Was she hit by the train, or did somebody kill her and put the yeah the the body on the railroad track? To that's it. You know, you can't tell if there was any type of like wound. And okay. make a long story short, she was never identified. Nobody, but they did sketch her anyway. They were trying to find her. Um, yeah, just like, and they had a bunch of people were saying, you know, runaway wives. You know, people that would fit that description. <laughs> 
And then, yeah. you know, and it, like a couple of days later, they would come up like, no, so-and-so, she's alive and well. She's in this, you know. Um, yeah. Wow. And the same thing with the gold teeth. That's why when you said that, people don't realize that that was a, a sign of uh, of wealth was when you could uh, have gold, uh, yeah. gold on your teeth. That's true. And uh-huh, uh-huh. So what now what happened? He he gets buried. What is it? Is it is was there like a family cemetery uh where he got buried at, or what happened with that? Yeah, he was buried at the local cemetery in Blevins, okay. Texas. Uh it's the Blevins okay. Cemetery. Now it's not even a town, it's just a remnants of old one one old building right next to okay. the cemetery, and that's all that's left. Uh, okay. it's just a farming community. Okay. But, but uh, he, he was buried there. Uh, half it, When he did die, half his kids stayed. They didn't go to the funeral. Half of them stayed at home and dug up the yard looking for the treasure. And that, oh, that, boy. That, I was, yeah, I thought that was kind of sorry. But, and that ended up leading to parts of the family splitting off and, and you know, family fights and things like That'll that. That'll do it. That'll do it right yeah, there. Yeah, real quick. Yeah. So, yeah, they dug up. Uh, he had... Uh, he was married to at the time it was his third wife uh the the first okay. wife died she had cancer in the early 1900s and passed away then he married okay. a young woman as a young woman he married it didn't last i think even a year he he okay. he, he sent her back to her family and uh <laughs> <laughs> and he took care of them financially for the rest of their okay. life that was kind of okay. but uh then the wife i think he was in his 60s late okay. 60s and she was in her 30s and right. they hit it off perfect she he left a lot of gold with her um i think there was they called them lard buckets there was 13 lard buckets and he, he put gold and silver coins in it and then covered it with lard a hog's lard okay so she got that in the wheel and the the kids didn't care about hog lard they were looking for gold she took off with her hog lard buckets full of gold and silver and uh Year a couple of years later, there's it was funny. I was reading letters from that had passed down through the family. They were uh -huh. writing they were writing letters to state and, and federal officials trying to demand that they order her to bring those lard buckets back. <laughs> so it was so it, and it was too late by then. Okay, because and, and that's another thing, you know, of, of you know, of everybody that would know the dangers of putting money or anything in a bank, it would be Jesse James. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, as, as to like why why would you bury stuff or keep it there? It's because yeah, number one, you know, <laughs> let's face it, that's all true. you need is yeah, you, you know. Plus, if people don't know what you got. Yeah. And then and also right at that was right after the, the Great Depression. It ended and okay. people people in general didn't trust banks at the time either. Yes. So right, I remember, uh, Sears Roebuck used to what they called fence safes. You could put a little safe on the bottom of a fence uh, fence post and put it mm -hmm. next to your house or anywhere you wanted and right. keep your money there. And nobody yes. knew except the person who bought it. So. Yes, people don't realize that. And every once in a while, you'll come across people that do renovations on older houses and they find stuff buried. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it's because once upon a time, this was the safest bet, especially if you had, you know, because, you know, we all get caught up with uh, paper money. But really, historically, yep. it's always been gold or silver along those lines, especially gold. That, that that's really was, that was the way you traded 
that uh, and especially well yeah. after the civil war like you said after the depression uh well, you know, everybody's heard of bonnie and clyde yeah yeah oh that's another yeah. thing that was in uh where Jesse lived in Blevins, Texas, there was a farm next door to his farm, in several hundred acres. But the guy, the guy who lived there, his last name was Kraus, K-R-A-U-S-E. Uh, he was Bonnie, Bonnie's maternal grandfather, and Ooh, Bonnie really? and Clyde. Uh, so yeah, so Bonnie granddad moved right more to, to Jesse, and I, I haven't found any any connection on. I didn't. I haven't found anything to you know to to point that they were in that Clyde were part mm -hmm. of the group. It's it's kind of interesting, right? Have you know, whether they say how many seven degrees of separation there is from one thing to the other, and sometimes, like you said, they're close, but there is no not real connection. It's just yeah. proximity because of coincidental, yep. but still, at the same time. Uh, so then, what happened? Sure. So the family, uh, what happened to his wife? Obviously, now she had the. Did she stay living on the property or who was the one that no, ended she, up staying she, there? She left, uh, she left and married another man and started her <laughs> own family with him. Uh, but really? she was a good girl, Jesse, and I think he wanted her to have that. Uh, most of the okay. rest gold he buried, like most of the gold he had, um, that belonged to, like the stuff he was burying, that belonged to Mason Marie, I believe. Um, the rest of it, okay. like the stuff that she had 13 buckets with a lot of gold and silver. So she was set for life, but uh, yeah. some, some of it, he, he kept his own, he kept a cut of it, of things, but I don't know how much he kept. Uh, he had a lot of gold right. buried. His family found some of it uh, buried around the property. There was a large, there, he got mad at a lot of them because he bought all his kids. Okay. Uh, and, and there were, he had seven kids. Most of them were kind of spoiled. Um, and they would blow through their money and then they'd come back begging for more. And he finally got fed yeah. up with it. And he took all his, the legend in the family was he took one of the treasures gone to them and he buried it where they'd never find it. And that, that, that was sense. it. People were looking for it. People spent years looking for it and they never did find it. So, <laughs> and you know what a people, you know, everybody thinks that, you know, modern day that you're, you know, you know, you've heard about the kids living in the basement till they're 30. <laughs> okay. But yeah, even back then yeah. you would have that version of, Hey, yeah, we're going back to dad to save the bacon when it comes to, uh, and let me ask you, were all his kids from his first marriage or did he have any children with any of the other wives? All the known kids were from his first marriage. The other okay. wives he had no children with, but okay. it's rumor that he had a couple of kids before he was married. Um, one or two sure. kids up in different different states. So All right, that's possible. That's very possible. You know, back yeah. then there was no DNA, so but still it was one of those things yeah. where that is so so at this point, you know, it, it, it and, and I wanna say for lack of a better word, having that money is great, but I think there comes a time uh whether he was like for lack of a, a, a transporter and you and he yeah. took his cut. Yeah, you know, I think that yeah. uh after a while, you realize having too much of that is more curse than a gift because, yeah, you know, either That's you right. have to be taking care of it or you, you know, if it gets out, you have it. It's like who wants whoever's around you is like, what do they really want? They just, yeah, yeah, exactly. Suddenly, yeah, 
that's like suddenly they become a target instead of a friend. So exactly. And even family members, like you were saying, uh, yeah. uh, all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you're being nice to me because you want something from me, not because you really love me or anything like that. Right. Well, that's yeah. like a lot of people. You hear those stories of people who win the lotto. Uh, it ruins their marriage, ruins their friendships. They end up broke later on because oh, yeah. they didn't know how to spend it. But they, it's right. My, I remember my late uncle always said if he won the lotto, he wouldn't give anybody money because if, if you give somebody money, he said they're going to cuss you thinking you're better than they are. If you don't give them money, right. they'll cuss you because So <laughs> he said either right, way, exactly. you cuss. <laughs> right. And yeah, it's like you so. tell. Yeah, you keep it. You just keep it a secret, you know, and that's it. And it's like, yep. yeah, I'm living on my retirement or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes then, it's like that's rumors, human nature. Yeah, and then everybody in your family and all your friends affording all those vacations. So, <laughs> well, you know so. what? There's a, a lot of people. Believe it or not, a lot of uh, famous and not so famous murders have been committed because the belief that that person or persons had of money, physical money in their house. I believe it. And yeah. I'm sure you've heard I back believe. in the 19, was it the 1960s where Truman Capote wrote that book in cold blood, uh, which mm -hmm. became really famous. And he researched it with the two uh, murderers before they were executed. And basically wow. that family, which was a, what a farming family out in Iowa, they were targeted because they ran a dairy and a farm. And one of these inmates had heard from another inmate in jail that that man had a safe where he kept gold. I mean, not gold, money, physical money that he would pay. Uh -huh. Wow. By the way, later on, it turned out that was that was not, the, the man would write checks. You know, he this thing of him having this stash of money in his safe didn't turn out to be accurate at all. But based on this hearsay, <laughs> when they were in jail, they show up there to this little... Iowa farm, and they end up killing the the, the parents and the two teenage kids. Wow! Which, this is how that that whole story of in cold blood comes out. You know, you know, it yeah. takes a while. Um, I want to say that Truman Capote did a really good job in that sense of you know where they did like a real life drama. Um, yeah. And again, that that belief in that if you could get a hold of money. You know, like whether it's paper money or anything that if people know you have it. Yeah, that's why you bury yeah. stuff like that. That's true. And don't let anybody that's know. Yeah. yeah. Keep it a secret. Yeah. Keep it a secret. Keep it a secret. <laughs> because, yeah, unfortunately, uh, there's always people like that, that even now, you know, with uh, even though, you know, everything now a lot of times is digital. Still, uh -huh. You know, there, there, there's there's always the person. Let's face it. Nobody can trace cash. Or gold or silver. So That's at this true. point, where um, do you think that is everybody's heard of, you know, the show of Curse of Oak Island and that yeah. supposedly the Templars had that was one of their stuff, you know, where they ended up at to get rid of or bury. Do you think there was anything or is anything at Oak Island or ever was anything at Oak Island? I think there was. And I don't know about now. Uh, mm -hmm. after all they've done I, there could be but I I have a feeling Oak Island was a staking point where they stopped mm -hmm. but then I, they may have recovered it later and then moved okay. on but the fact that it was part of that theory if they did recover it it sure seems like they went through a lot of trouble to make make it look something was there you know because it was still it didn't right. look like 
yeah, the flood tunnels, the, the coated rocks, that kind of stuff, uh, uh, the different layers of what was it, fiber and, and different types of soil. I, maybe there's still something there. I'm not sure. Or maybe it was a decoy. If it was a decoy, it was an extremely elaborate decoy. I, I don't well, think it was a decoy. When you look at that, it's like, okay, you know, if you ever need to get your treasure for whatever reason, uh, you might as, yeah. you know, I can't see why you would make it so difficult on yourself or somebody that you send to take it yeah. if you needed to move it. You know, you're going to make it so me. dangerous that you cannot access yeah. it because you have to go through all these, like you said, like an Indiana Jones type of uh, goblet. <laughs> I like, wonder okay. if there was a back door. Could there have been a back way? Now in that makes house? sense. That there's a way to get to it. Like, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. You know, like go down that tunnel. It's right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's. I don't know. That's. I personally, there may be something there still. I don't know. Uh, but mm -hmm. I, it's part of. It's part of that grid. Um, that treasure grid that I'd mentioned earlier that I discovered. The. It's not part of the tree of life, but it's part of the. Uh, the grid that covers the Americas. Um, and it also lines with the Newport tower that they, some claim that John built it. Others claim the Templar built it. And okay. uh, in a way they were part of, they were part of the same organization. So either way, right. But uh, uh, it, it lines up with a lot of weird areas of historical significance and also other. Areas. Uh, but like a, uh, New Mexico, the Los Lunas Declaration, uh -huh. the, the native, it's a boulder with a lot of Hebrew uh, language, you know, some, I don't know what it says exactly, but uh, the pioneers, when they showed up, they asked the Native Americans who did that, and uh, the Native okay. Americans said it was there when they got there. So that really? that's a mystery unto itself, and the the template lines up with, I don't know if there's a treasure there or if it's just an area of, maybe, maybe it's a treasure marker. I don't know. Uh, there's other that believe that's part of a trail that leads to the, the, the covenant. I don't know if that's true. It wouldn't, I keep open-minded about a lot of that. Um, but it, you're, anybody's guess is as good as mine as to what it is. But knowing that it's on the template, I think it has something to do with treasure. And I'm sure you've heard, of course, that the Superstition Mountains also has, um, you know, yep. its own treasure, hidden treasure. And I, I've heard that there's people out there that also have gotten lost and because they, they really don't yeah. understand. Uh, yep. How the can lost, I say? That, they call it the Lost Dutchman's Mine. Right, right, right. Yep. And I think that, unfortunately... Uh, they, it's, you know, the, the, it's romanticized and people don't, are, don't understand what they're going to encounter as far as the terrain. Yeah, it's, um, it's very dangerous. It is. It is. And unfortunately there's been people that they've never been, you know, have disappeared or they've died and they found them later. And so, yeah, it's that, that thing with the treasure, I can see where the allure is, but I think a lot of people, it's like they, they start seeing in their head the Indiana Jones kind of version yeah. of treasure hunting. Yeah. Well, that's and what you just said ties in with uh, like there was some those spots I, I'd mentioned where treasure used to be in the Texas right over recovery. It didn't look like any place you, would, you know, when you're romanticizing treasure. I always yeah. think it's a hill 
covered with boulders and there's a cave, things like that. This right. was out in the open field. And, and that's what always blew my mind when I first was shown those. It was out in an open field. No, nothing special about it. It was just a field and somebody buried treasure there a long time ago. Right. <laughs> and see, that's, that's the thing that, you know, you hear that, oh, because you have to go up the hill and then, then down the mountain and then in the gully and underneath the cave. And then, yeah. and I'm thinking to myself, you know yeah. what? I, I get it. I get it. You don't want somebody just to be able to stop, stumble over this. But if at some point yeah. you're going to be coming back for this thing. Okay. The yeah. last thing you want to put yourself through is to go through that just to get the money. You know, it's like, eh, some part yeah. of me says yeah. that, it, or like you said, it's just a decoy, you know, let's, yeah, let's yeah. draw up this yep. very convoluted map, which will just take them nowhere. <laughs> there know, was one I, treasure uh, buried in Oklahoma. Uh, some, a guy found it about 20 years ago. It was, uh, okay. it was right on, it was right off of the Chisholm trail. And it, right. there followed some, he followed a, Codes carved in trees and on rocks. And uh, okay. he found the treasure and it, it was just under a boulder. All he had to do was flip the heavy stone over and there's the treasure. It wasn't even buried. It was just under a boulder. <laughs> you know what? And it was it's, over a million know, in treasure. Right. You know, and that's the thing, you know, everybody thinks of, you know, when, when Indiana Jones and he lifts it up and then the boulder chases you and it's, uh, you know, the arrows yeah. and yeah. it's like, sometimes that's not exactly it. Because that's right. Just for the sake of that, it's not practical, especially because yeah. this is the thing. Most people don't realize that whoever put that gold there, they wasn't planning to leave it there forever. Yeah. Now, sometimes they things happen. They want to yep. come back and get it. And as a matter of fact, this um this happened. This is an article I read like about a week, no, a couple of weeks. It happened in November in Spain. They were digging the same thing uh, for a road or some construction, and they pull up and they found these what they call ampules, which are like uh, those uh, vases, but they're sealed. Okay. Yeah. There was nineteen of them. When they the the machinery cracked some of them, and they found they were full of Roman coins. All right. Oh wow. Uh, they and they they some of them uh, the the ones that were sealed. They, they basically, they found them like six years ago. And recently they put out what it is that they found. And they kind of, and the ones, they kind of figured out that there was like 2,800 coins in each of the ampules. And later wow. on, they figured out that this, this had been, they, they say that somewhere in that area, there had to have been like a Roman villa. And this was under like the portico of, they said that they usually had buildings like where they kept animals and, and the people that worked there. And somebody had buried it under there, like right where you walk in. All right. <laughs> and the this was like in the fourth century <laughs> AD. Wow. Of course. You know, this is when Rome did. And it showed all the, you know, all the different, because back then, you know, the coins were minted with the face of the emperor. And they were even yeah. saying that the majority of them were from the emperor Diocletian because his coins had more silver in it. All right. So yep. they had like a total of 58,000 coins. I don't know how much... The, the the actual find is of itself but then you think somebody took the trouble because of burying 19 of these they're like vases that were about this big like maybe a foot or a little bit over yeah. and sealed them filled them up with coins from different things buried it under let's say under the entrance to like a warehouse because they would they said that it was like a a building that was like a granary buries yeah. it there and then they said that eventually 
like 200 years later, everything was demolished. And now it was found like, what, two centuries later almost? And then you think, okay, yeah. nobody's going to forget that they've put away 19 vases full of coins. Yeah. And this was somebody exactly. I imagine that met an unexpected death. You see Probably. what I'm saying? Yeah. And they were they were discussing wow. that um that why would somebody do that? You know, putting the, the coins away. And they said that back then around this was around the time that the Roman Empire was starting to teeter totter and that mm -hmm. there was inflation. So they said that if you were going to do any big uh money deal, like a purchase of land or anything like that, you could only do it with coin, a lot of coin. So this is why somebody would, right. would uh, keep this amount of coins yeah. there. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is not something you forget about and walk away from. This is somebody yeah. that died unexpectedly. All right. And there it goes. And two centuries go by. Wow. So, yeah, the, the, the thing of bearing stuff has been around for a while. But, yeah, I, I sometimes yeah. being things being too difficult to find, to me, doesn't nah most people they're they're planning to come back for that stuff yeah at some point in time yeah. at some point in time well, that was the other thing like uh, uh like oak island for example that's real right. difficult and then there was one uh manly palmer hall he was another 33rd degree mason he wrote the things of all ages um his okay. wife was marie bauer hall and she before she had met man before she had married manly palmer hall uh, she had been researching and then later she married him. They both researched, but they found encrypted writings in the works of Shakespeare. Uh, she okay. believed Sir Francis, she and she that Sir Francis Bacon was Shakespeare or, or wrote most of it. Uh, right. But anyway, they found it. Right, I've heard also that it was the Earl of Oxford. I, I you know, I've heard other yeah. theories about that. Shakespeare wasn't really Shakespeare, but anyway, keep yeah, going. I've heard. So she, writings and it led her to Williamsburg, Virginia. There's a church okay. there called Bruton Parish Church. And the Bruton Parish Church, um, the, the one that's there now was built in 1715. And okay. but there was there was one before that, and she said the the encrypted the, when she decrypted all the encrypted writings and symbols, right. it led her to the original foundations of the original church, and people mocked her, they didn't believe her. But they gave her permission. Wait, wait, wait. To, it, it to let, when she went there, what did, where did it lead her to? What, what did she see there? Um, it was the original findings of the first church that was built there at Bruton okay. Parish Church. And it was just okay. a few feet away from the church there now. Uh, okay. She had, okay. People mocked her and she proved them wrong. And she went further. Uh, there were also uh, animals on the tombstones of the cemetery that pointed to it also. And uh, okay. so she original founda foundation she proved her, her she went further and said that there's a vault 20 feet beneath where the altar was in the church that contains okay. it was a uh, information it was treasure and information that would rock the foundations of history and religion and i thought okay. that's, that's interesting that's, 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 so i mean yeah, i know yeah i mean she found original foundations which ever all the experts believed were non-existent and okay. she proved them wrong so she started to dig for that vault and they they put her in jail uh, they told her to leave she didn't want to leave so they put her in jail and she didn't go back after that and uh it was interesting to me because also the uh said 
that the Rockefeller family purchased most of that, the old part of that town. They don't own the church, but said that they control the board of directors. And I thought, well, we never know what's there. But I thought that was an interesting, that was part of uh, the, the tree of life template. And that would have been the top part of it. Um, I just, I'd love to know what was in the vault and where the vault is. They said they did a ground penetrating radar and identified that there was a vault or a void beneath that, but nobody would allow them to dig. Well, did you hear this came, this, this was, I don't know if you heard about this and this was maybe like, a, like maybe a year ago or a little bit over a year ago that there was this group that um, I think it wanted, I want to say, was it around Washington or Virginia that they supposedly came across some, what they called Confederate gold. All right. Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah, um, basically because that, that's another, that's another theory that I've heard that in some cases where supposedly there might be something, something buried of value. The government has either made it a park, some type of park where basically nobody can own it. You know, it belongs yeah. to the government. Yeah. But in that one, um, basically the FBI booted the group that found it, like, get out of here. And then they were told, yeah. no, we didn't find yeah. anything in there. Something like that. And yeah. I, was like, oh. uh, I, re I read all about that. And I know one of the guys that was involved really? in it. Uh, I don't know. Okay. Um, we're not we're not friends, but I, we're acquaintances. I've, I've only mm -hmm. he talked. He's he spoke to my late mother a couple of times. And then uh, I've never he's never emailed me i just know of him because he used to to try to talk to my mom uh but okay. he uh anyway they uh, yeah they they found they they said they found the treasure the fbi swept in uh right kicked them out and people said that they heard heavy equipment but the fbi right. said they didn't, they didn't do anything didn't get anything and they were just real closed mouth about it <laughs> so <laughs> right I, and, and i, I, I it was like they did that, but the I think they even put up tents. Like the FBI did one of these twenty four seven kind of like yeah. removals. Yeah, that's uh, that. It's the way the article was written. It sounds like the FBI probably got it. And well, the thing was, and this is the thing that supposedly the 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 how can I tell you the motivation behind the FBI was that this gold was supposedly stolen during the Civil War. Okay, so technically it would belong to the government. Yeah. How's that? And I, yeah, but see, at the same time, it's like, okay, we have to take your word for this. How's that work? <laughs> and what's the statute of limitations on on a rock? Exactly, exactly. And that was an act of war, so I don't know. Right, it's, this was a, right. It was supposed to be in route, I think, to the mint, something like that, and it got yeah. stolen and then yep. buried, and then. Uh, God, what's the name of the group? I think it's Finders Keepers or something like that. That that they yeah. do that. This is what they do. And yep. I was like, man, that's incredible. And 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 <laughs> see, that's another thing I've heard that a lot of places that, uh, especially in the middle of nowhere, they be they've made them. The government has taken them over, made them into national parks and stuff like that, where you can't just yeah. go in there and start digging. You can't. You just can't. That's true. That's you very know? true. Uh, some and you're right. A lot of those. A lot of. Uh, a lot of the treasures that I know of were on areas like that. Some some yeah. of the ones here in Texas that we were shown, not three of those were on private property, but it right. was, I don't know who, I don't know uh, if somebody watched it. I have a feeling it 
they kept an eye on it. But uh, sure. one, of, one of the big ones, like the 700 bars of gold that I'd mentioned earlier, uh -huh. that was that that spot is located on Fort Hood Military Reservation out, outside of Colleen, Texas. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. They, they, there's certain things. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that um, nowadays, uh, if you come across anything that, how can I say it, was stolen or like a... Uh, 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 in other words, that you didn't purchase it or that the original, that it wasn't acquired through, you have to end up giving it back. Yeah. Uh, people, you know, people get all caught yeah. up. Like I'm gonna, um, <laughs> there was it. what was it like? Yeah. Maybe like less than a year ago. I don't know if you heard of, and I think the lady, it was in Texas. Uh, this lady found, uh, what she thought was the bust or the head of, uh, you know, fake, obviously of a Roman was a Senator or an emperor, something like that. Okay. She buys it for like 29 bucks at the Goodwill thinking wow. it's just, it's just a statue. It's just a, a really nice, she comes to find out it's originally from like the first century. Wow. Right? And then they start, of course, a piece like that is like basically a, a museum piece. They were, yeah. they, they described how it ended up because of the person that owned it, I think passed away. And then it ended up in the Goodwill kind of thing. <laughs> Make a long story short. They said that because that piece originally, and I cannot remember, had been taken or stolen without permission, she had to end up returning it wow. to the museum or the, the collection that originally had it like years, like 80 years ago or something like that, 100 years ago. It was a long yeah. time ago. And this she ends, was, yeah. Oh, I'd be mad. I would be And hopefully, furious. well, you know, and of course, <laughs> they said they, they didn't disclose and they were saying, well... What they did was they made um, basically a, a clone of it so she could have it there, like the fake one. And they were saying, and maybe, pop, you know, like they weren't obligated, but that the museum could give her some type of like, like a little reward, which of course is not yeah. anything worth. And that's what uh. I'm saying. You know what? And I'm, I'm going to end the show with this. When I hear about these stories, don't get me wrong. I understand that if something was taken, but that end person didn't take it. Makes you think yeah. how many pieces of whatever art sculptures treasures are in private hands will never see the light of day because when they're bought and sold it's done very privately that's true okay because and that's that's why they're they're going to say either the country of origin if it was taken yeah. for, let's say from a foreign land they're going to step in and say hey that belongs to us send that back to us or if it was a museum or whatever you know whoever was the original and could say hey you know, uh, we don't care. That belongs to us. And guess what? They make you send it back. So I think that there's a bunch of stuff out there in private collections that uh, and tra private transactions are done. That's and, you true. Know, from buyer to seller. And because everybody understands that if you ever say anything about this, guess what? You're it's done. Gone. You're going to have it's yeah. gone. And you're going to and not going to get a, a penny for it. Well, that's so, like uh, the, the you know the guys who find sunken Spanish sunk, uh, oh. sunken Spanish ships. Uh, yeah. the, the government of Spain, Spain takes them to court, and yes. they usually win. Well, yeah. what bothers me because they said that was originally ours, and I thought, well, wait a minute, that belonged to the natives in Central America that the Spaniards yes. killed and took 
the gold from them. So right. it should go and back was... to Mexico, <laughs> but it well, doesn't. It goes to But Spain. you know what? It, it, the 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 <laughs> the thing about this is, and and you would think, what's the statute of limitations on this? You know, as a yeah. matter of fact, you could even say, you know what? It was an act of God if a hurricane came along and sunk your boat, that ship, yeah. that galleon. Yeah. You know, as far that as uh, an, yeah, exactly. That was an act of God, and it wasn't. Was it didn't belong to anybody after that. Yeah. But people don't realize that when they buy, when you hear about these people finding these treasures, they usually, they have to, they get a very small percentage or share of what that find is. It's not like it's all mine. Yeah. I don't, you you remember that, that old money, that old movie, The Deep, that came out, I think it was in the 70s or 80s when they were diving in the Bahamas, or no, in Bermuda, I'm sorry. And they find that, uh, that galleon. Oh, I think I remember this, that one. I've seen a was, lot uh, of treasure movies. This was with Nick Nolte. This was when everybody was really young. I want to say it was in the late seventies, okay. and um, it's uh, it was re- it was written by the same guy, Peter Benchley, that wrote Jaws. Okay. And, and basically, it's a couple, and they're tur- they're tourists in Bermuda, and they're diving, and they come across uh, basically the, a Spanish galleon, and they find one of the pieces. But then it gets complicated because they find another boat with heron ampules on top of it it's a great movie by the way but oh i do remember seeing that yeah right. and uh but you know you, you look at that and it looks really exciting but people don't realize that treasure hunting can get complicated real quick real quick with governments like whether the like you said the origin or in whose waters yeah. you're basically finding it in things of that nature yeah it's not That's like a season it's like it's mine i found it it's all mine yeah yeah. yeah, it's whoever has the most power behind them. That's usually who ends up with it. Yes, so. <laughs> and there's a, and and on the last note, when you said that thing about Steven Spielberg, everybody the um, you know Steven Spielberg, one of his early movies was that movie The Goonies, which was and in it it had a pirate yeah. ship. Okay, yep. and apparently his inspiration was off the coast of California. There was a rumor of a Spanish galleon that had wrecked off the, in the Pacific coast. Yeah. All right. And they kept getting um, beeswax, uh, blocks of beeswax and uh-huh. other timbers that would wash on shore. Nobody could ever figure it out. And this supposedly is how he got the inspiration for that part of the Goonies. And it turns out that, yes, because apparently this ship, they still can't figure out the ship was going from Mexico to the Philippines. That's why it was on the Pacific oh. side. And they can't understand how it got so far, of course, that was off the coast of Oregon. <laughs> and But they think that got, basically got caught in a bad storm and it sunk. Mm-hmm. But they would carry, they found, they finally found pieces of the, of the, of the, the beeswax. They first they traced the timbers to stuff something that was cut in the Philippines. Plus they actually they found actual bee that the beeswax like bees in it. You know they because they have been finding chunks. Wow. But yeah, that was the wow. inspiration for the Goonies as far as the pirate ship that they find in the cave. So yeah, people That's get inspired, cool. inspired by anything. Yeah, but yeah, those Spanish so galleons cool. is a bunch of them that that sunk. So yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have the deep pockets, but I doubt anybody that you could just like. Um, be able to find this, find the gold, keep yeah. it for yourself, and not tell anybody. It's like it's a complicated. That would zero. be hard. That that would be hard because the first thing most people would do is go out and buy a car or a house, and then that gets red flagged, and then they end up oh, people are looking at them. Yeah. Yeah. So I, anything I, that's you do. Cute. Yeah. Yeah. You know that's that true. it that 
uh, it's like, but, and I'm sure there's people go, you know, I, I'd rather deal with a headache. Don't worry. I'll figure it out. I'll get a good attorney. Yeah. Just figure it out. Thanks. That, yeah, that's Dan, true. It has been absolutely wonderful to talk to you. Let me ask you, are you working on any book or anything now as you speak? Or planning right now? Um, I finished my third one and it, it, it hit the shelves over the summer in July. And okay. right now I'm taking, I'm, I work as the director of tourism and economic development in Marshall, Texas. So I've, okay. I've been real busy lately, but I'm, 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 I've got a couple of books I want to work on. I just mm -hmm. need to find the time. What was, what's the title of the book that you just released? Oh, it was, uh, <clears throat> the secret history of the wild, wild west. I've got a picture of it right here. Oh, look at that. <laughs> you know what? I'm sure that what, when you did that research, you found what, did you get a lot of surprises when you were doing your research? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, it seems like anything involving Jesse and a lot of the connections he had always ends up shocking me. Uh, yeah. Well, like the Jean Lafitte thing, the connection with Jean Lafitte, his connection with uh, Johnny Ringo and a lot of other people, Billy the Kid and others, Freemason. Right. It, it's always something. And it's never it's like those guys lived an amazing lives. Mm -hmm. And the, when the truth comes out about them, it's almost sometimes it's almost so wild. It's hard to believe. But right. And you know what's really it, funny that a lot of these guys like Bat Masters and all these people, they all knew each other. Yeah, they can't, they, it was they, a small world. Yes, yeah. yeah, they knew of each other. They like they even sometimes states different states, and but they would they'd circulate, and they all knew. Yep. Uh, each other. Somehow it is or wild. Other. Yeah, yes. and I mean, I'll, for some reason, and it's hard when you growing up watching old West movies and stuff like that. It seems like you know you had one guy here, and he never met these other people. But you find right. out the truth is they all met. They they knew a lot. They they all knew each other. Not all of them, but most of them knew one another or knew right. of them. So right. and the places they rode, like on horseback, riding from Kentucky to Texas, doing robberies in different places in Virginia, and then back to Nebraska, Ohio. It was weird. <laughs> so yeah, well. It, 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 when um when I really got I, I wrote back in 2017 a book it was called the uh, um, haunted history of the old west wicked ladies and the bad hombres they loved yeah. so it was mostly about the frontiers town and that's how you hear about I I researched and I found these guys one day you're wanted by the law and then the next day you're the sheriff yeah you know? yeah uh, it was a weird and, life uh, then you, uh, that friend of yours you'd send him hey you know my brother's gotten himself in trouble in that town he's got a warrant. Out of so and so, yep. go get them for me. And they would, <laughs> they would do that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's just crazy. Like, yeah. Yes. And Bell Star, she's another yes. person. I think need there needs to be more written on her. Uh, she was a lot more than just an outlaw woman. She she was like a major figure in an underground world. Uh, she had friends that were judges and other politicians, right. friends who were outlaws, bank robbers. Uh, she she had an amazing life. And then she got killed. Um, she was riding her horse back to her house mm -hmm. and somebody, some coward shot her from the bushes, shot her in the back with a shotgun. Well, you know yeah. that one of the ones that they believe it is, he ended up here in Florida down on the West coast. Yeah. I've heard okay. that. Yeah. All I've right. heard about that. And back then this was around the turn of the century. He ended up doing like um, one of those sugar plantations, but uh, there's something in an area on the West coast of Florida called 10,000 islands. And back then 
it was so mosquito infested that the law, if you went there, the law wouldn't go after you. would be like, hey, man, forget <laughs> it. <laughs> We're not going in there and get, get you. So he, he moved back there. And he ended up killing a few more people, by the way, until they finally, wow. the little town, shot him dead. <laughs> they got so sick and tired of him. Because what Good. they would do is that he would bring, um, what happened is he would bring a, a lot of these, uh, not, not ex-cons, but people that were on the run from the law. He would use them as labor on his plantation, as a little sugar plantation on these islands. Wow. And then when it came time to pay them, guess what? Oh, he, he did away him. with them. He killed them. And of course, you know, if you're in the middle of nowhere and you're running from the law, you have no family. Nobody's going to be around to say, hey, what happened to so-and-so? That's true. And he was even known to kill women. And I believe that one of the things that they were saying that um, that they they suspected him in the murder of Bell Star was that even though he was a really tall man, he had very small feet for a man. <laughs> okay, and that this corresponded to some tracks that they had found uh, behind the bushes or somewhere where somebody was hiding that said that that shot at Bell Star, and he was in wow. that group. He traveled with yeah. them in that in that group of people that where she was at. Okay. And you know when there's a point in time that it's like you know I need to get out of Dodge, wherever yeah. Dodge happens to be, and that's when he came down like right before the turn of the century down into the west coast of Florida, and he wow. started doing his thing there. And like I said, finally the townspeople gunned them down. <laughs> they they gunned good. them down <laughs> because they were just like. Um, and and at that time, like I said, the sheriff or the law was like three a three day ride away. Wow! So they took it upon themselves, and that was the what was his name? Bloody Ed Watson. That's his name. Well, they call him right. Bloody Ed Watson, but yeah. So there we go. <laughs> that's, okay, that's a cool story. Yeah, it is, and it's like again, you know, uh, without physical proof. But I remember there was a lot of things that it looked like he, definitely he might he might have been the person that killed Bell Star. That's bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's and, glad, I'm glad they killed him. So. <laughs> well, no, you know, when people say people took the, the law into their own hands, yeah, they yeah. did because sometimes they had no choice. And also that thing about, um, you know, when I did that, you know, a lot of these, uh, they were higher end um, brothels or uh, they basically, you had a lot of movers and shakers in the government that would come to these brothels like judges and sheriffs and yeah. They would sometimes they say that in some cases they would do a raid and they they'd have the sheriff and one of the judges like dropping down <laughs> out of a second floor window, you know, because like you didn't tell me about the raid, you know. They they yeah. would say how these brothels would remain open, the high end ones. Yeah, and it was because usually their clientele were powerful people. The, people. Powerful yep. people, exactly. Yeah, that happened quite <laughs> a lot. Dan, it has been absolutely great to speak to you. I, 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 there was so much we could talk about. And I'm hoping you'll come back another time so we could keep on I'd talking about this stuff. But it's been great. Well, thanks. I had a great time. It's been an honor being on your show. And I, if you. anytime you want me to well, come before back. Before I forget, for my podcast listeners, what's a website that they can go to? I'm going to put a link to the oh. web, website, but for the podcast listeners, it's uh, Daniel. It's authored. Uh, I'm sorry. I always forget the website address. I don't know why. It's oh, Daniel wait. Duke Author. I think it's Daniel, Daniel Duke. Duke Author. Yes, no, I'll tell you right now because authordanduke.com. Yeah, it, yeah, it's not author Dan, it's author Daniel. I messed up when I wrote Dan. Oh, okay, Sorry. okay. I'm glad you because got, that's because that's... I have a my Facebook is author Dan Duke because oh, somebody okay. took Daniel. 
And then, okay. but my, uh, my website is author Daniel Duke. Daniel Duke. Okay. Thank you. Right. Because like <laughs> I said, no, I usually write it down because in the credits of the show, I put that link there, but you know, I also have a podcast version of the show and that's why I asked my guests to put out what their website is. So okay. it's author Daniel Duke.com. Yep. And, uh, yeah. yeah, you can find my books anywhere. They're, uh, inner traditions.com is that inner traditions is my publisher. It's okay. at, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere, anywhere you can, anywhere they sell books, pretty much. Okay, excellent, excellent. Again, thank you so much. It has been absolutely wonderful to talk to you, and I wish you the best of luck in all your projects. Thank you. Same to you, and I hope to hear from you again sometime. Likewise. Take care, of course. Bye bye. -bye. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I I complain. That sometimes the old West and the frontier life is more romanticized, but and I, I fall prey to the romanticism. I do, I do. And um, but what he talks about, like when I did the research for that book that I wrote, the old West wicked ladies and the bad hombres they loved, and and I hate to say it because a lot of people, um, uh, back then a lot of women, um. Uh, because out of necessity, uh, because there was really no on the frontier and they ended up uh, being prostitutes, all right? There wasn't uh, sometimes if their husbands died, uh, unless you lived in like one of the bigger cities, like in the East, like New York, that maybe you could work in a shop or something like that. Your options as far as employment were not there. All right. And a lot of women, they were widows, you know, they, they went to work and they would work in the, you know, because a lot of people think sometimes of, you know, the prostitutes, these, I'm not talking street walkers. These would usually be like, there's different grades of brothels. Uh, there was even somewhere, uh, the boarding house, it was, uh, uh, let's say a lady, a woman owned a boarding house and she would rent out a couple of the rooms to girls that sometimes even worked in factories, but they weren't making any money. And they would basically turn into a quasi brothel in the weekends. And they would prostitute maybe on the weekends or on a Saturday or a Sunday. Uh, others were lured. For example, um, I'm sure for those of you who remember that HBO uh, series called Deadwood, there was a character there, which was very well played. I can't remember the actor's name. He was in, oh my God. Well, anyway, he played a guy named Swearingen, which by the way, there was a Swearingen there. I can't remember his first name. And he owned uh, he owned a theater and he owned a bar saloon. That Basically, that's really how you made your money. And th that's usually the setup in these frontier towns where you had the saloon or the dance hall downstairs and then the upstairs the you had the brothels okay this is where the girls took you and usually you would see that more like in the mining towns or the frontier towns and things like that so you had some girls that all they did was they would dance around with the cowboys or the guys steer them to the bar have them drink you know you know basically spend their money on drinks they would get watered down drinks but they would they would not prostitute themselves because they made enough money that by being basically dancing around with these guys is these this by the way usually in these towns men outnumbered women a lot. <laughs> so these girls, these, these men were just, just to have a chance to dance with a girl, with a woman, they'd be like, great. So, and then there was others that of course would, they were prostitutes. 
So uh, this guy Swearingen, what he would do is he would put out these handbills and he would uh, lure like these uh, farm girls, you know, whatever, come and, you know, I'm, I've got this honorable employment, whatever. He would make stuff up. When they would get to Deadwood, then he would bring the surprise on them. No, you know, you, you need to, um, this is what I've got. You're going to be the dance hall girl or, you know, be working upstairs. And these girls are like, huh? And he would say, oh, yeah, by the way, because you need to pay me for bringing you out here. And by the way, the most of the times these girls didn't have any money to go and go back to where they came from. So that's how he would basically bring them in and tie them into that type of work. They wouldn't go out there expecting that they were going to be prostituted. But that's how they would end up and be like, OK, you need to pay me off. You know, I pay I, I spent X amount of money to get you out here. But that's not the work. I don't care. You, you owe me that money. And you're going to go back to work. And again, these are Frontiers Town. All they had was a lot of saloons. You know, and more saloons. Saloons usually outnumbered, I think, like any other establishment. Besides, you know, general supply store or something like that. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the the a lot of these, um, a lot of these towns, these stories about the Old West, they romanticize them. There was a lot of adventure, but there was a lot of hardship. As a matter of fact, I'm watching that show, which is, um 1883 it's a series and it's a prequel to that Yellowstone and I've watched like maybe one episode and it's kind of accurate as the hardships that people would encounter when they would go out into the frontier to go west to go wherever they were going to go to for land because remember this is you know for a lot of immigrants especially that came from Europe or anywhere else if you own land like the gentry the, the land if you owned land that meant everything that was it. You know, you own that land. So if you broke your back uh, farming the land, felling trees, you were doing it for yourself and for your family, whereas not for anybody else. So this is, of course, was the allure of going out west into dangerous areas where there were Indians, where the, you know, it could snow and basically you'd freeze to death because if they, they were usually promised land. And of course, the government in many cases wanted settlers out there. Let them go out there, do the hard work, establish a town you know, get a bank going in churches and, you know, eventually they knew that even if at the beginning the towns were really rough, like they had what they usually call tenderloins, which is where you had the bars and the bars and the bars and the saloons and the houses of ill repute. Eventually, if you got enough regular settlers, they would uh, either chase away the, like say, okay, go to that part of town. That's going to be like the rough part of town. And then the they would basically establish a town with the churches and your stores and all your, your regular stuff. And that's really what they wanted. They wanted people to go out there and settle it. And then of course, on the outskirts, you would have the people that had their farms, their ranches, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, that show that I've been watching, it's kind of brutal, but it's kind of accurate when you do the, um, you know, the, the research, like, you know, when the people would go on these covered wagons that they were heading out west to whatever west was. Because remember, the west-west, sometimes it could be as far west as Missouri, the Ohio Valley, all those things. Um, let me tell you something. You had to be really desperate and really brave because so many things could kill you. It wasn't only that anything, disease, um, if you didn't know what you were doing, uh, uh, 
yeah, it's 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 quite different. Which, by the way, gives testimony to settlers wherever they came from, wherever they came from. You know, whether they were Eastern in the United States or they had come in and immigrated through, let's say, the Ellis Island, which was, and then decided to keep going out because they wanted their piece of land. And let me tell you something. Talk about hardy people. Whew. That speaks volumes. But anyway, guys, I hope you like the show. I really love speaking to Dan. I urge you to go to his website, which let me repeat it. It's authordanielduke.com. And he's got three books out. Jesse James and the Lost Templar Treasure, The Mysterious Life and Fake Death of Jesse James, and Secret History of the Wild Wild West, which he said that was the last book that he just released this year. Okay. So again, come back. I've got a lot of interesting guests, great guests coming on. Like new ones like Dan repeat from other times that they've written new books. They've got a lot of interesting stuff to share. And uh, again, thank you so much for coming back every week and spending this time with me. And until next time, take care.